Hey, Magnus here. Before we get into the show, I just wanted to say that everybody has their own Star Wars canon. Certain things make up their Star Wars universe, while other things are perhaps excluded. So maybe your personal continuity includes the movies, the Clone Wars show, and maybe some video games. Meanwhile, other stuff just gets left out. Or maybe your continuity includes some of the novels and the comics. For me, I've decided that my personal Star Wars canon is the original trilogy as it was on each movie's opening day. And that's pretty much it. So, if it didn't happen in the original Unaltered Trilogy, it didn't happen. Now, that may seem obvious enough for some of you, but it's sort of a new development for me. I, I was a prequel defender from way back, but I just can't do that anymore. Um, a while back, Lucasfilm did a 3D re-release of Episode 1, and I hadn't seen Episode 1 in a, in a pretty long time, and so I thought it'd be fun to see it again in theaters. To be perfectly frank, though, the years have not been kind to any of the prequels. The older I get, the, I guess the more I realize what the older fans had been saying all along. And it's not just Jar Jar, either. I mean, yes, he is annoying, and even if that was completely intentional on George's part, which I think it was... That doesn't somehow make him not annoying. But from the angle of storytelling in cinema, the prequels are just weak sauce. And again, I know this isn't breaking news for a lot of you, but it kind of is to me. You know, there, there are a lot of good ideas in the prequels, but they're just not executed well. Uh, scenes are full of this bizarre, non-sequitur dialogue, and... I think the best example I can think of are pretty much all of uh, Padme's scenes, uh, or rather, her deleted scenes from Revenge of the Sith, because holy fuck, those scenes make absolutely no sense. And this is kind of a big thing for me, since the prequels are pretty much what stoked my Star Wars fandom to begin with. I mean, yeah, I, I grew up watching the original trilogy, but... I seriously didn't understand why people sprayed their shorts over Star Wars. But when I saw the prequels, yeah, it made a lot more sense that people would get excited about Star Wars. But the 3D re-release of Episode 1 is what brought reality crashing back in for me, you know? The movies are simply not very good. And then you get into George's revisionism. One reason I'm glad that Disney owns Lucasfilm now is that we may finally get some decent DVD or Blu-rays now. And I'm not just talking about the original trilogy either. Although there is that to consider. But if you go back and watch the DVDs released in 2004, or God help you, the newer Blu-rays with critical eyes and ears, 
you'll notice that sound mixes are completely fucked up beyond all recognition, and that colors in the original trilogy are saturated way beyond what was originally intended, just so that they can somewhat match up with the prequels. The DVDs and Blu-rays pretty much look and sound like absolute shit on a purely technical level. So, my fondest hope is that Disney will do a proper remastering job on all the movies. And, yes, get those original trilogies, uh, uh, Blu-rays out there once and for all. Still, those 2004 DVDs and I think the 2011 Blu-rays, those were all certified by THX. There was a time when THX was the gold standard of quality video and audio presentations for film. But, like anything else during Lucasfilm's latter days, the, the bloom had come off the rose, and a THX certification these days is pretty much completely worthless, in my opinion. You know, you hear all the time about the exasperated fanboy who just wants the original, unaltered trilogy in decent quality so that he can finally make some kind of peace with his Star Wars fandom. And that's pretty much me right now. That's where I am. And that really makes me kind of sad. Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body armor to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. How's it going? My name is Trentus Magnus, and I welcome you back to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. This is the next part of my break in regular episodes. Basically, the plan is to do six episodes talking about whatever, you know, comic books, TV, film, whatever. Talk about those things, and then do a seventh episode um, to that's basically devoted to the Paradox Press line of uh, big books, and then an eighth episode talking about something to do with Star Wars. So, in episode seven of this show, Chris Honeywell and I talked about the big book of urban legends, which means this time out, I'm going to tackle something to do with Star Wars. But before I get into that, I have some more listener feedback to go through. Uh, This one comes to me from my friend, Professor Allen. Now, 
For those of you who don't know, Professor Allen does the Quarter Bin uh, podcast, and it's excellent. I cannot more highly recommend that each of you check it out because it's a, it's, it's, it's a fun show. So the subject of the email is Gotham by Gaslight, and Professor Allen writes, Trentus, when I think of Elseworlds stories, the first, thing, the first things that come to mind are Red Sun and Gotham by Gaslight seems to me that Batman was involved in a ton of Elseworlds stories, but it's hard to think of one that works as well as this one does. I think it's because his lack of powers and the basic humanity of the psychology of his origin story that the character can work on a wide range of settings. Great episodes. I'm enjoying the show. Keep up the good work. And thank you. Actually, first of all, let me just start there. Thank you very much, Professor Allen. Appreciate you saying all of that. And second, you know, I tend to agree, actually. Um, you couldn't really do this type of story, this Gotham by Gaslight kind of thing with, say, Spider-Man. His origin is not just in the 20th century, it's of the 20th century. You need a certain level of technological sophistication in order to do a Spider-Man story, and that's just really not possible prior to the 20th century. But Batman's origin story can be dropped anywhere in history, and it can pretty much work. Still, I think that the Master of the Future, the sequel to Gotham by Gaslight, kind of proves that a a Victorian-era Batman isn't completely a foolproof concept. It's possible for the story to end up being kind of weak sauce, but then I guess that's kind of a matter of taste, I suppose. Um, as I said, uh, I've got some plans to do a lot more Elseworld stuff in the relatively near future, and as a matter of fact, if all goes according to plan, you should see those episodes begin rolling out starting in December. Anything can change, but that's the plan for right now. So that is basically it for feedback this week. So I'm going to play some promos and then I'll be right back. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. You've decided to go to a nearby restaurant. You ask the hostess to seat you in a booth. As you sit, you notice an animated conversation among the four seated behind you. They're talking about Star Wars and Doctor Who and something called the Laugh Olympics. These are the people you used to pants in high school, and yet you cannot help listening. Unable to tear your ears away, you realize you've just been sucked into the Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks, weekly 
at twotruefreaks.com. And we're back. Today's comics are a mini-series, Star Wars Infinities. This is a series written by Chris Warner with covers by Tony Harris, pencils by Drew Johnson, and inks by Ray Snyder. It's the first of a trilogy of sort of alternate universe or what-if type of stories. The shtick here is actually pretty simple. In a crucial moment in Star Wars, there's a, there's a, a, a divergence in the timeline that changes the outcome of the story in a big way. From, from there, the writer basically plays out the story with this one thing having been changed, which leads to a shitload of other changes. One important but small change can completely alter the course of events. This one's about Star Wars, but there are counterparts for Empire and Jedi as well. I'm not going to be getting into that, but those are out there as well. I'll tackle those some other time. Now, as a general rule, I don't get much into the expanded universe. It's, it's just not my thing. Supposedly, George Lucas had some kind of review and oversight for this stuff, but... I think the real answer here is that all these novels and comics and video games and other things existed solely to keep the Star Wars brand alive before, during, and after the prequels. Still, that's not to say everything about the EU sucks. Far from it, in fact. A.C. Crispin's Han Solo trilogy was absolutely amazing. Brian Daly's Han Solo trilogy was almost as good. And then there's Shadows of the Empire. People, I could do an entire episode about Shadows of the Empire. In fact, that's kind of the plan. Once I find someone who's willing to guest star in it anyway, I'm going to do an episode dedicated to Shadows of the Empire because I love Shadows of the Empire. Of all the Star Wars stuff I've ever read, Shadows of the Empire feels like Star Wars. I can't accept Shadows of the Empire insofar as canon is concerned, but it reads like a Star Wars story ought to read. But mostly those are the exceptions that prove the rule. For every halfway decent Star Wars novel, you have a plethora of incredibly shitty comic books or video games or whatever else to choose from. Courtship of Princess Leia, I'm looking pretty much right at you. But even when the EU stuff isn't shit on a platter, it's usually just average and forgettable. For example, I remember reading The New Rebellion by Catherine Christine Rush, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. Even so, this Infinity series is different in that it's actually a pretty fun little read, and even though by definition it's not canon, it still has a very Star Wars feel to it. So, on that note, into the summaries we go. Part 1. At the Battle of Yavin, events begin to change when the torpedoes fired by Luke Skywalker experience a technical malfunction and fail to destroy the Death Star, but prevent the complete destruction of Yavin 4. Unable to fire a fully charged shot from the Death Star super laser, Grand Moff Tarkin orders the technicians to fire at reduced power, nearly leveling the Masasi Temple on the moon's surface. 
the Imperials send out a wing of TIE fighters to pick off the remaining members of Red Squadron. Luke, driven to near insanity by the failure of the mission and the apparent destruction of the Rebel base, turns his fighter to face the TIEs all by himself. Eventually, Han Solo convinces Luke to flee, and the Millennium Falcon jumps into hyperspace with Luke's X-Wing on its tail. The Rebel forces attempt to flee the Yavin system, but are captured by the Imperials. Part 2 The Rebel leaders are imprisoned on the Death Star to await execution, but Princess Leia is taken to Coruscant, where she is put under house arrest at the Emperor's residence, the great former Jedi Temple. Once there, Darth Vader subtly begins Leia's conversion to the dark side of the Force. Meanwhile, after the Falcon drops, off, drops out of hi hyperspace, Luke and Han argue, and Luke accuses Han of having abandoned the Rebellion. Luke pulls out his lightsaber and threatens to kill Han. Obi-Wan's ghost then appears and tells Luke that he is moving into the dark side of the Force. Obi-Wan instructs Luke to travel to Dagobah and seek out the Jedi Master Yoda. Han takes Luke to Dagobah, where he begins his training under Yoda, Yoda's tutelage. Han then leaves with Chewbacca to finish the repairs on the Falcon. While on Dagobah, Luke encounters a mysterious cave as part of his training. There he fights and kills a vision of Darth Vader, and is shocked to find Leia's face under the helmet. Part 3 Five years later, the Empire celebrates the fifth anniversary of the Rebellion's defeat by renaming the Death Star into the Justice Star, which then eclipses over the sun as a sign of everlasting peace. Now trained in the ways of the Sith, Leia convinces the Emperor to reinstate the Imperial Senate. Han and Chewbacca watch coverage of the celebrations in a bar in Ord Mantell, and then board the Falcon and head back to Dagobah. On Dagobah, Luke's training is nearing completion. The last test is for Luke to re-enter the cave. Luke is again confronted by a vision of Vader, but now he's able to overcome his fears and completely connect to the Force. Han arrives soon after and informs Luke of Leia's whereabouts. Yoda then reveals to Luke the truth that Leia is really his sister and that Vader is their father. Luke, Yoda, Han, Chewbacca, and R2-D2 then take off in the Falcon to Coruscant. In Part 4, once, a, once having arrived on Coruscant, the Falcon lands on, on the Justice Star where Yoda and R2 debark. Yoda confronts Tarkin, now an admiral, and takes control of him with a Jedi mind trick. Chewbacca flies the Falcon to Coruscant, where Luke and Han attempt to infiltrate the Emperor's palace. Once there, Luke and Han defeat a number of red-cloaked Imperial Guards and a reprogrammed, more aggressive C-3PO before confronting the Emperor and his two apprentices, Darth Vader and Leia Organa. At his master's orders, Vader turns his lightsaber over to Leia, who duels with Luke. Luke refuses to kill her and reveals to her that she is his sister. After the duel ends, the Emperor becomes angry and casts his Force Lightning at them, but Vader attacks his master to protect Luke and Leia. Luke, Leia, Han, and 3PO then escape to the Falcon as the Emperor turns on Vader. Before Palpatine kills Vader, Yoda, using R2 to control the Justice Star's orbit, contacts the Emperor and announces that he is coming to see the Emperor and will be there soon. The Justice Star crashes into Coruscant, wiping out everything on it, including the Emperor, Vader, R2-D2, and Yoda. Later, R2's 
memory is inserted into an identical body. The story ends with Luke and Leia being visited by the ghosts of Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Anakin Skywalker during the inaugural celebration of the first Chancellor of the New Republic, Leia, on the planet Naboo. So I should start by saying that of the three Infinities miniseries Dark Horse did, this one turned out the best by far. I'll get into the other two some other time, but for now let it be said that this series scratched my Star Wars itch in a big way. One of the reasons this miniseries works for me is because of how things shaped up with the original trilogy. Now, as much as I love the original trilogy, it's pretty obvious that George Lucas would have handled things in Star Wars a lot differently had he known, for a fact, that he would be able to make Empire and Jedi. For instance, he might not have introduced the Death Star in Star Wars, or he might have waited until Jedi to destroy it, or any number of other things. And another thing is Leia as a potential Jedi. That's brought up in the films, but nothing much is ever really done with it. Leia may as well not have any connection to the Force at all for all the difference it would have made to the story. Because in Return of the Jedi, she's pretty much just another rebel commando. So, Star Wars Infinities deals with some of these things in a pretty creative way. It eliminates the structural problem of having multiple Death Stars, and Leia, as a potential Jedi, actually goes somewhere and pays off and tells a pretty compelling story in the bargain. Now, I can't speak for anybody else, but it makes at least me wonder how Lucas might have structured the original trilogy if he knew in advance that he was going to make all three of the movies more or less as he wanted. I'm just not convinced that the trilogy would have gone the way it did if he'd outlined everything up front and was secure in the knowledge that he would be able to make all three of the films. The only real drawback to this story comes in the third issue, and maybe it's quibbling, but there's a moment where Luke returns to the cave and is basically treated to a summary of things that he never saw from, that come from the entire Star Wars saga up to that point, or at least what had been filmed up to that point, because all of the prequel stuff relates to The Phantom Menace. Now, whether you love or hate that film, I think we can all agree that very little of The Phantom Menace really pertains to Luke. I could sooner see the Force giving him a snapshot of stuff, starting from Revenge of the Sith, and then going right on through up to that present moment. The problem, though, is that this book came out in 2001, and Revenge of the Sith was still a, a gleam in George Lucas's eye. But... This Phantom Menace flashback just feels forced, contrived, and pretty much completely unnecessary. Fortunately, on the very next page, page 14, there's a neat little gag where Harrison Ford nonchalantly handles a snake, and so that just sort of balances things out. Indiana Jones fans should like that, so... Still, a few other things just felt wrong to me as well. Yoda crashes the fucking Death Star into Coruscant. It's suggested that doing so pretty much wiped out all life on the planet. Now, Yoda was committed to destroying the Sith, but I couldn't picture him ever doing that. 
I just don't buy it. I don't think he would commit planetary-wide genocide just to kill two people. I don't believe it. Another thing is that Leia becomes Chancellor of the New Republic. I have a hard enough time believing that the galaxy far, far away would accept Darth Vader's daughter in any kind of government capacity, even if she hadn't joined up with them, as things ended up happening with the expanded universe. But I for damn sure can't believe that Leia would ever be accepted by the galaxy after the events of this miniseries. I mean, why would she be? I think the man on the street would sooner revolt than accept Darth Vader's daughter, a former Sith and former Imperial, as leader of their new government. But anyway, <sighs> the art. I really dug the art. Drew Johnson has a line style that's pretty much exactly what I want from Star Wars comics. It's stylized enough to fit a non-reality format like comics, but he still draws the characters to believably resemble their movie counterparts. Now, his take on Carrie Fisher is kind of hit and miss, but otherwise he's got a pretty solid ability to draw the characters in a way to resemble the actors. And one thing Johnson managed to do was find a middle ground with drawing Chewie. Because on film, obviously Chewie is a guy in a suit. And sometimes it looked like a guy in a suit. When, when artists draw Chewie, either he looks too much like a guy in a suit, or else he looks nothing at all like Chewie from the movies. But in this miniseries, Johnson manages... He, he finds that sweet spot where Chewie looks convincingly like what we saw in the, in the films but without the limitations of looking like some really tall guy wearing a monkey suit. So, Johnson is not exactly the first guy to figure out how to draw Chewie properly. And I, I guess I need to be just put that out on uh, Front Street, but he's one of the few who's ever gotten it right. Now, that said, Johnson doesn't do a completely flawless job here. Some of his panel arrangements are a little clunky and awkward. It's sometimes not immediately clear which panel should be read next, and very frankly, this is a really fucked up and consistent thing with a lot of Star Wars comics that I've read. And it's... If I had to put a thumbtack on the map and say this is where the beginning of the end of my Star Wars comic book reading experience happened, this is basically it. This is a big reason why I generally don't read very many Star Wars comics. For some reason, otherwise talented artists tend to completely forget the fundamentals the minute they start drawing Star Wars. I have no idea why, but after you've seen something a few thousand fucking times, you start thinking, you know, maybe there's a curse or something that's going on. But as it goes for this series, some of the panels are laid out in a pretty fucking bizarre way and that makes following the story kind of challenging sometimes. It's it's small stuff, but there it is. Still, there are cool moments to spare in the series. On page 19 in the first issue, I don't think they come right out and say so, but it's pretty obvious that Luke touches the dark side. And this comes right after he assumes that Leia that Leia is dead. And so Luke goes full bore in attacking the TIE fighters and the other Imperial ships. And it makes sense in the context of the story, since 
Luke knows basically nothing about the power and the temptation of the dark side. He's pretty much completely raw in the Force. He can feel it, but he has no ability to control himself. And I just think that's a really cool moment in the story. Another cool bit comes from the second issue where Leia is slowly turned to the dark side. You you get the idea that this is pretty much what the Vader, what uh, the Emperor and Vader wanted to do with Luke in Return of the Jedi. This is basically what they had in mind. And Leia is suffering over the Rebellion's defeat, and that makes her easy pickings for the dark side. And it just works for me because Leia actually contributes something to the story. And the same thing holds true of the third issue where Luke completely... He, he, he completes pretty much all of, all of his training under Yoda. There's no interruption in it as there was in Empire. So even though he faces, he ends up facing a lot of the same conflicts in this miniseries that he does in the movies, you can see how much more in control of himself he is. And by comparison, how much more in control he is of the situation. He controls himself and he controls the situation. And I pretty much ate that stuff up with a spoon. So... So there's that. Um, in the fourth issue, you know, there's this really neat moment where Luke and Han fight the Imperial Guards. Now, I freely admit this is wanky fanboy stuff, but I loved it because the Guards never really did jack shit in the films. They pretty much just stood around in their red robes and sucked air all day. But here they actually do something, and you can see that they're pretty tough stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're... They're no match for Luke, but it's it's still a cool little action beat. In general, a really cool thing is how integrated prequel locations like Coruscant and Naboo are into this story. Coruscant is a major setting for parts of this story, and it doesn't feel forced to see the original trilogy characters like Leia or Han running around on Coruscant. It all feels of a piece. Anyhow, so... I guess to conclude this segment, I'd say that the Star Wars Infinities miniseries is well worth picking up. You could you could probably find it in dollar bins or as a trade. I mean, shit, I, I found the Omnibus on Amazon for about 15 bucks, so if this series interests you, finding it should be easy enough. Now, as to Empire Infinities and Jedi Infinities, I'll tackle those in a future Star Wars episode, but... I don't think I'll have as many positive things to say about those. I'll just give you that as a, as a tease. I, I think I'm going to have very different comments for those, but um, for right now, I'm going to take a break, play some promos, and I should be right back. Enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Illogic, foolish emotions, a constant irritant, and transparent freaks. Two belong in a circus. 
right next to the dog-faced boy. True! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, shit. Oh. It's a super prize package worth $9,300. This isn't the biggest bag over the head. Punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go away, And now, <laughs> together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed the police officer for Christ's sake. You're goddamn lucky he didn't kill him. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. So you're looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, hey, let's God, go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Hey everyone, Sean Engel here. And Strange Disembodied Voice here. Hey, it's good to hear from you. It's been a long time. How have you been? What have you been up to? Oh, not much. Working with other podcasters, calling around with Santiago, prepping for the Mayan apocalypse. You know, the usual. Neat. Anyhow, uh, glad we got back together since the show, Just One of the Guys, is coming to a turning point, and since you were there at the beginning, I thought it'd be appropriate that you be here now. Ooh, are you finally changing formats and doing your epic coverage of the Al Milgram Opus US 1? Um, no, I'm gonna start coverage of the Kyle Rayner stories in Green Lantern. And that, supposedly, is more impressive than the trucker who can receive CD signals through a metal plate in his head? Undoubtedly. Plus, I'm still going to be covering the ongoing saga of Guy Gardner. Mm, will he be getting a metal plate in his head which allows him to receive CP signals? No, nothing quite that ridiculous. Although, the stories will involve him getting alien DNA, becoming a living weapon, and punching Nazi dinosaurs. Seriously? Yep. So all of this, yet the epic tale of a trucker who's vying to avenge his death of his brother caused by a man who sold his soul to the devil for a satanic 18 healer is just too goofy? Precisely. <sighs> Whatever. So where can I find out about all these changes? Lots of places. For one, you can go to www.justoneoftheguys.lipson.com to download the shows, check out the covers of the books, and leave comments on individual show postings. You can also find the show on iTunes just by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, and you can leave a review there as well. So after you finish these books up, you'll cover US-1? Maybe. I've still got that Dallas Dynasty show with J. David Weeder to do. And Scott Gardner has approached me about doing an NFL Super Bowl podcast that he wanted to do in conjunction with the 25th anniversary of its release. It's come check it out every Friday at justoneoftheguys.libson.com. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at magnus.libson.com. You can also find it on Facebook. 
just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind. And that's a promise. If you enjoyed the show, review it in iTunes. If you didn't enjoy the show, review it in iTunes. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promo can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is copyright Magnus Media Enterprises Limited, Wisconsin Falls, California. Mm-hmm.